Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And we looked at Romans chapter 8, 28 last week. And then during our midweek service, we kind of backed up and we covered verses 1 through 27. And now we're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week in Romans 8, uh, 29. And, uh, you know, Romans 8, 28 is where we left off. That that God is working all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. And and we were really encouraged by that. Uh, truth last week, that it really is, as even Paul said, something that we know. It is a fact. It is a reality. It is a spiritual law. Uh, you know, we talked about the reality of physical laws and gravity. We, if I climbed up on the roof and I jumped off, it doesn't matter if I believe in gravity or not. Gravity is going to take effect and it's going to make me a believer really quick. The same thing is true with spiritual laws. A spiritual law is a spiritual law regardless of how you feel about it personally. And we looked at this spiritual law that God is working all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are the called according to his purpose. And we said, well, you know, Paul, how is it that we can actually know? How do we know? And we just kind of went over a few basic things Boy, we can know because God said it. He's given us his word. Uh, We can know because God proved it. He laid down his life on the cross. We can know because God dwells in us. He's given us his spirit. And we looked at the Old Testament illustration of this New Testament truth. Uh, We looked at the, the story, the life of Jacob and his sons, in particular, Joseph, uh, his son. And, you know, we saw that Neither one of them, Jacob or Joseph, uh, boy, neither one of them were having a very good time. They both had some, some pretty difficult circumstances in their life. Uh, Jacob, uh, the dad, well, he thought that a couple of his sons were dead and that another one of his sons was going to be killed soon. Joseph, and he was in a terrible situation. His brothers had betrayed him. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, and left in prison to rot. So both of them were experiencing great trouble, trial, tribulation, difficulty. But their reactions to their circumstances were polar opposite. Jacob, on one hand, said, oh, all things are working against me. Man, things couldn't get much worse. This is terrible. And from his perspective, he was genuine, but he was genuinely wrong. See, were things working against Jacob? They weren't. Right? If you were here last week, you remember that God was still working all things together for him in his life outside of what his circumstances declared. Joseph, on the other hand, boy, what was his reaction after being sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, left in prison to, to rot after he was falsely accused? Boy, he was able to look his brothers right in the face And say, you know what? What you guys meant for evil, God used for good. Both of those reactions, complete polar opposites. But do you know what? God was still at work the whole time. 
God was still working all things together for good for Jacob, who was grumpy, who was uh, full of consternation and, and aggravation and depression and hopelessness. He was working all things together for good. For Joseph, who was full of hope and joy and peace. And that was kind of the point I made last week, is, is that no matter where you fall, you know, we're going to go through difficulties, but if you belong to the Lord, he's going to work those things together for good outside of your emotional state, outside of your reaction to the circumstances. And boy, we can take great comfort in that, can't we? I'm glad. But let us make the choice, because at any this moment, we can decide to be a Jacob, everything's against me, or we can decide to be a Joseph. God is still in charge. He's still going to see you through. He's still working all things together. The difference, again, is our countenance. We can either experience that joy or we can experience that hopelessness. And oftentimes the choice is ours. Now, I'm not saying that we ought never be sad as Christians, right? I'm not saying that we're not allowed to mourn. Some things are sad. Sometimes we cry. It's okay to be sad. I'm not saying that we should never be sad as Christians. What I am saying is that even when we are sad, we can be comforted in the reality that God is going to see us through. And we can take comfort in that. But how does that work, really? Like, how is God working all things together? I know that we can know because he has told us and he's shown us and he's in us. But how is it practically working out? How are the pieces all fitting together? How really is God working all things together for good? And that brings us to our text this morning. See, what I want us to understand, and I want you to hear me on this, is that we love Romans 8.28. And we underline it, and we highlight it, and we proclaim it, and we memorize it. And that's good because it's a comforting scripture. But what we have a tendency to do is unhook Romans 8.28 from Romans 8.29 and 30. And they go together, and Paul's making a point. And so uh, Romans 8, 29, and 30 are the support verses for Romans 8, 28. And so let's just read those real quick, and I'll throw in Romans 8, 28 for free. Bonus. So, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, these passages that we're going to get into this morning, they're a little bit controversial. And they're not controversial in that we're not sure they're true or not. They're not controversial in their truth. They're controversial in the sense that we are going to jump into an argument that has been raging for literally centuries within the the church. But before we kind of unpack this debate, I want to throw out some disclaimers this morning. Uh, You know, this debate that's taking place really is God's sovereignty if I could even say versus man's free will, as we're going to see, that's not really the way that it plans out. But we're talking about God's sovereignty versus man's free will. Did God choose us or did we choose God? And this debate has been raging on. And so before we look at that, before we unpack it, these, uh, these disclaimers I want to throw out. First of all, this discussion, it's a family matter. This is a discussion that's taking place within the, the family 
of, of, of Christ, within the church, between born-again believers on both sides. There are those who are genuine in their love for Jesus. There are those who desire his will for their lives. There are those who are honestly striving to understand his word, who fall into both camps, who are on both sides of the argument. Uh, these are non-essential doctrines that we're talking about. It's not that they're not important. They're very important, but they're non-essential. This is not the difference between heaven and hell. And so we need to understand that before we move forward uh, with that. So uh, on both sides of the argument, man, there's great people who, who love the Lord. And, and I want to make that clear this morning, that this is not a dividing line between two camps of the saved and the unsaved. This is a, a family discussion within the church. Secondly... There's a reason that this has been debated for centuries. And the reason is that the Bible backs up both sides. You can defend either position vehemently, scripturally. And so know that we're not going to settle that this morning. Uh, thirdly, the Bible does not contradict itself. Where we might be tempted to say, well, you know, how can God choose us and we choose him at the same time? Those things seem to be contradictory. The Bible is not contradictory. What happens is we create a, a false dilemma when we say it has to be either or. We create a false dilemma when we, when we put ourselves in the position of saying, we are going to understand this, uh, there's no mystery to it, and I'm going to fit God into one camp or the other. And then lastly... This topic is bigger than the 45 minutes we have this morning. <laughs> I'm not claiming to be an expert. This is not an exhaustive study on the matter. But I want to go over it because it's important for us to understand. And you'll find out why here in just a minute. So, again, this is the debate oversimplified. God's sovereignty versus man's responsibility. Did God choose you or did you choose God? When God reached down from heaven and threw us a lifeline, when his hand, did he just snatch us up or did we have to grab on to? Did we have to choose? Uh, there's this debate. It's been raging uh, literally, again, for centuries. And this debate has somewhat been enshrined in the arguments of two men. Uh, the first, John Calvin. And John Calvin's stance is that it is all God. God chose us. We didn't choose him. We didn't have the capacity to choose him at all. Jacobus Arminius, he's the other camp. And he says, no, it's not all God. It's all man's free will. We had to choose God. And so at this point in the sermon, we're at this crossroads, right? And I debated and I wrestled which direction I was going to go. Because if we're not careful, we can dive off into this theological discussion that will produce more drool than joy. And I don't want you to be more confused than you were when you walked in. But again, it's important for us to understand these things. And so we're going to kind of look at these two camps very briefly because they've been very clear on what it is they believe. And we're going to do that for the purpose of determining. Well, you'll just have to wait and see. So First of all, we have Jacobus Arminius. He's the first one. He came out with his first five points. He said, this is what I believe, and this is why. Uh, after Jacobus Arminius came out with his five points, then John Calvin said, well, I've got some counterpoints, and I'm going to make my position clear as well. And so what are those points? So Jacobus Arminius, this is what he said. He says, man has free will. That was the first one. Man, it's, it's all about free will. Uh, Though man has fallen, 
Uh, he, he's not incapacitated to the degree to where he cannot choose God. Uh, that is, he is not restricted uh, by his sin to the point to where he cannot choose God. Secondly, uh, Arminius uh, said he believed in conditional election, that God chose those who chose him. Uh, thirdly, Jacobus Arminius believed in universal atonement, that Jesus bore the sins of the whole world, every single person on this planet, uh, saved or unsaved, that he had them in mind when he was on the cross. Fourthly, uh, in the Arminian camp, is resistible grace, that people can resist the grace of God, uh, really to the point where, where God could make himself known, available, uh, show his glory to them, and they could resist his grace all the way to hell if they so choose. And then lastly, Jacob Arminius believed in the perseverance of some saints. That is, that it is possible to lose your face, not your face, that is possible. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to do that and live, but no, possible to lose your faith. Uh, that you, you can lose your salvation, that you can really give back your salvation, however you want to mince words in that. But that's the five points of Arminianism. Well, John Calvin said, all right, I've got my counterpoints to this argument. And, uh, you know, his are easier to remember because there's an acronym, TULIP, if you've ever known. So first of all, he believes in total depravity. Uh, whereas Jacobus Arminius said, man, we still have the ability, in spite of our sinful nature, to choose God. Uh, John Calvin said, man, men are deprived. Uh, they are altogether wicked. They don't have the capacity in their fallen state to even choose God. Second is unconditional election. Uh, that, that God did all the choosing that we had nothing to do with it. Thirdly, limited atonement, that Jesus died only for those uh, who are the saved, that he did not die for the sins of the unsaved. Fourthly, uh, John Calvin's uh, counterpoint uh, to resistible grace was irresistible grace, that if God were to make himself known to you, that if it was God's will that you were to be saved, then there would be no way to even resist God in that. And then fifthly, Whereas Jacobus Arminius believed in universal atonement, uh, or not, pardon me, universal, but perseverance of some saints, that you could lose your salvation, uh, Calvin believed that you cannot lose your salvation. Again, those are the arguments, but I want to re-emphasize that this is an argument within the family, that these are two sides of the same coin. I fully expect to see both of these men uh, in heaven. And in both camps today, you are going to find solid individuals. And in both camps, you're going to find people who have gone off the deep end. That's just the reality of any one of these things. But you think about, you know, the Methodist church, the Foursquare church, the, the Nazarene church, uh, Arminianism. Uh, you think of Martin Luther, Spurgeon, the, the uh, Reformation, or not the Reformation, but the Reformed uh, church movement, uh, they would be more Calvinist. Uh, and, and why is that? Oh, why do we have these different churches with different... Listen, because there are hundreds of verses to support both sides. We could literally spend a month of Sundays just going over the scriptures that support both cases. And, and this is where I want to be careful just to go over this briefly with you, to, to just give you a couple scriptures that, that show us really that, that it, both can be right, 
that both have a leg to stand on. And I say brief. I want to go through this briefly. Again, there's a danger that we get sucked in, and you guys know my difficulty with keeping things brief. So as I'm going through this, you can be praying for me that I can stick through uh, this brief uh, presentation. So, uh, you know, the, the, the first point, are, are we even capable of choosing God, or does God uh, ask us to make the choice? When we look at the scriptures, we can clearly see that we are called in many cases to make a choice for God. Uh, you know, John 3.16, uh, you know, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, uh, you, you must believe. Joshua, what did Joshua say back in the day? He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was a decision to serve the Lord. In, in Revelation, we see this statement that is made, whosoever will, come. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. When Jesus chose his disciples, lay down your nets, come, follow me. Uh, there, it's clear the Bible teaches that we have a choice. But the flip side of that coin is in our deprived nature, did we really have the capacity to choose God? Because we just went through this in Romans chapter 3. Uh, it should be pretty fresh in our minds. What did Paul say? There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Did you hear me? There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. No one seeks after good. No one is good. Hmm. That doesn't really clear it up. Let's move on to the next point. So conditional or unconditional election. Right? Still, uh, Again, we see through Scripture this idea that we have a choice. Romans 10.9. It's one that I say often. That if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Choice. Decision. Uh, but based solely on his purpose apart from God's free will. You know, Romans 9 says, you know, and we're going to get into this, where, where God makes a statement. And he says, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. And he gets into this discussion to where, what right does the clay have to say to the potter what he's going to make out of it? The potter can make a vessel of dishonor or honor. It's up to the potter. So, again, hmm, interesting. So, universal or limited atonement. The Arminists, again, would say, look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Uh, that he gave his only, who did God so love? The world, that whosoever, anybody. Uh, Hebrews 10.10, 10, by, uh, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. All, for everyone. Now, I'm not teaching universal salvation here, so let's not get off in the weeds on that. We're already off in the weeds enough. But you would look at these scriptures and say, well, it looks like Jesus died for everybody. It just wasn't atonement for some, but atonement for all. But there in John 10, when Jesus is speaking of himself as the good shepherd, what does he say? He says he lays down his life for, what, the world? He doesn't say that. He lay down the world for all? He doesn't say that either. He says he lays down his life for the sheep. And then he goes on in verse 28 of John chapter 10 to say, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Interesting. Uh, 
resistible or irresistible grace? Can, can we resist God's advances towards us? 2 Corinthians 6 says that some have received the grace of God in vain and make it of no effect, that, that we've actually experienced that grace and said, nope, I, I, I'm not interested. Well, that seems like we could resist God's uh, grace. But then there in John 6, 44, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets. And they shall uh, all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. If you've heard and learned, boy, then you come. Hmm, again, uh, where do we go with this? Uh, and then lastly, uh, can you lose your salvation? Perseverance of some saints or perseverance of all saints? And this one is a little bit heavier, right? This is where our feathers start to get a little bit ruffled. Because we have scriptures like Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to turn there because uh, I don't have it in my notes and I don't want to mess it up because there's a long list of things that Paul talks about there. But we have scriptures like Ephesians 5 starting in verse 3 where Paul says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness it is not even to be named among you as it is fitting for saints. Keep that in mind. He's, he's talking to saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather uh, giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and uh, God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so where Jacobus and Arminius say, hey man, it's possible. Are you really saved? I don't know. And we can debate and we can go around that. But I, I never want to go down the path where I say, hey, you know what? You're set. You're good. You're living a life of immorality. And what does it mean to live in all of those things that, that Paul talked about that would keep a person out of heaven? It means that you're practicing that sort of immorality. Not that you have fallen into it or it's a season or a mistake, but you are living there. You are enjoying it. Your will is to be there. You want to get as good at sin as you possibly can in, in whatever it is, your uh, addiction or, or whatever it is, your attitude. I, I, how can I be as sneaky as I can so I can uh, really uh, excel at this sin? That's the danger point. The Bible says we're to work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling, right? And, and, and so I don't know that we can say, hey, listen, if you have all these red flags in your life, go to town, you're set, you're saved. I'm never going to say that. But by the other token, right, John 10, 28 says, no man can pluck you out of the hand of the Father, like I read. You're his, that's it. You can't lose your salvation. And, and again, like Jesus talked with uh, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you're born again, how can you be unborn? And so you say, wait a second. I thought you said you were trying to not confuse us. <laughs> I seem more confused now. No, I'm simply showing you that uh, the Bible says yes and both. And when we try to, you know, try to fit God again into to one camp or the other, that's when we begin to get into trouble. This whole thing is a mystery. This whole thing can be confusing. There's a funny story that I heard, and the story is told of a group of theologians who were discussing the tension between predestination and free will. And things got so heated that they broke their group into two opposing fractions. But there was one guy who was just caught in the middle. He didn't know which camp to join. And so he thought for a moment, and he's trying to decide. And at last, he decided, you know what, I'm going to go join the predestination group. And so when he got over there, they said, well, who sent you here? 
And he said, well, no one sent me. I, I came of my own free will. He said, free will? You can't be over here believing in free will. You can't join us. You belong with the other group. And so he left that group, and he went over to uh, the other clique. And then someone said, when did you decide to join us? And the young man replied, well, I didn't really decide. I was just sent here. Sent here, they shouted. You can't join us unless you have decided. And that's, that's kind of where we get sometimes. We're just like, boy, we're doing the splits, and what's going on? Should I be an Arminius or should I be a Calvinist? And you know what we should be? Bibleists. We should say, all right, what does the Bible say? And you know what? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. I might not understand it, but that's okay. We don't have to understand it uh, for it to be true. And we want to avoid that whole idea where we have to, again, put God into our own understanding and we create this false dilemma where it has to be either or. Because here's the thing. Did God choose us? He did. Did we choose him? We did. Is it a mystery? It is. I'm sorry if that doesn't help you this morning, but there are things in this life, in this world, that we are just not going to understand completely. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that we look as through a glass dimly. Uh, that we know in part, but someday we will know as we are known when, when we stand face to face in, in the glory of God and in all of his truth. Someday this will no longer be a mystery, and we can all have a good laugh about all the arguments that we had. But for now, we have to trust that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Uh, that we're just not going to understand. As far as the heavens are from the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And I say this all the time, if God was small enough for us to understand, he would not be big enough for us to worship. So just keep that in mind. And so, uh, you know, that's the, the whole situation. That, that, that's the little argument in a nutshell. And I don't want to spend too much more time on that. Again, because uh, you can't unhook Verses 29 and 30 from verse 28. And was Paul's point to lay out for us predestination, God's sovereignty versus human will? It wasn't. Uh, the point of this verse is to encourage us and to show us how it is that God is working all things together for good, for those who love him, for the called, according to his purpose. And uh, Paul says, hey, listen, we're predestined. What does it mean to be predestined? Predestined, uh, pro arizo means to decide beforehand. That God decided, if you are a Christian, he decided beforehand that you would be a Christian. Before you were ever born, God decided that you would be a Christian. And we see that in the life of Jeremiah. I remember in the very beginning of Jeremiah, oh, I can't go, Lord, I can't do this. And God is like, Jeremiah, what does he tell him there in verse five of chapter one? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Before Jeremiah even knew what choice was. The Lord had chosen him. How? Well, Paul tells us it was based on his foreknowledge. Right? God has foreknowledge. Who he predestinates, he foreknew. That is, he understood his election is based on foreknowledge. Now, what is foreknowledge? Foreknowledge, pardon me, is prognosko. Now, gnosko in the Greek means to know. And if you can study out that word, it's a very intimate knowing of one another. It's oftentimes used between a husband and a wife. It means to know intimately. Prognosko means to know intimately, personally, everything, but in advance. Uh, foreknowledge is knowing everything in advance. You guys remember uh, Back to the Future? <laughs> you remember when Marty McFly jumped in Doc's DeLorean? 
and he went to the future there, 2015, and we saw flying cars and all the rest and the hoverboards. That was 2015, folks. I'm outraged. Where's my hoverboard? Well, where are my flying cars? Right, but remember, one of the, the key points in the plot was that Marty McFly stole that sports almanac, right? So that he, when he got back to, from the future, he would be able to bet on all the games, having known all of the outcomes. So when he was making those bets, it wasn't a gamble. He, he, he wasn't hoping he was picking the right person. He knew because he had foreknowledge, and that's the way that the Lord is. He, he predestined us based on our foreknowledge. He knew those who would choose him. He knew those of us who would love him, who would desire to be his. And he chose us before we were even born. You say, well, wait a second. So then how does free will work? If we're predestined, then what choice do we have? And I've heard lots of different analogies, but the one I liked the best was the analogy about two people playing chess. Now, if you are a chess player, you're a chess player. And if you're not, well, you're not. And, and, and I belong to the second group. I, I, I want to be one of those smart guys sitting in the park, like making the moves and hitting the thing, and I just, I just can't do it. And I remember one Thanksgiving, me and my oldest son, Elijah, you know, his dad, you want to play some, some chess? I'm like, all right, let's do this, right? And, and so the family, they see the chessboard come out. It, it, it's there at the dining room table, and people start to get curious. Ooh, it's a showdown between father and son. Who's going to win? Let's watch. And, and, and as we're playing chess, my son beats me in literally 20 seconds and four moves. It may have been less than that. I'm being generous. It was like, oh, okay, that really just happened. And everyone was like, ooh, you got beat by your son. I was like, oh, man, he, he, he destroyed me. So now fast forward, I have a, a six-year-old son, my youngest son, and he's all about wanting to learn how to play. Dad, can we play chess? I'm like, all right, this is my opportunity to dominate. <laughs> Here we go. I'll teach you how to play chess, buddy. And so as I'm teaching him how to play chess, how the, the pieces actually move, he beats me. And so I'm like, wait a second. I started to think about this. He doesn't even know how the pieces move. So if he beat me and he doesn't know how that, that means I'm so bad at chess that I actually beat myself. <laughs> so you think about this, right? Going back to predestination, free will and God's choosing. The greatest chess player in the world, Magnus Carlsen, right? He's undisputed champ. From the time he was a little kid, he was a chess wizard. Now, if I played... Uh, Magnus Carlsen, I would have all the free will. I could move my pieces however I want to, but guess what? The outcome is decided, folks. He's going to win. He's going to beat me hands down. So we can have free will, but the outcome is still determined. And the master knows in advance what moves. See, that's the thing about a chess master is they know all the moves way out in advance. They're calculating how things are going to move. God doesn't even know a few moves in advance. He sees the beginning from the end. And so we have free will to move about the cabin as we so desire. But at the same time, God is going to accomplish his will. And we say, all right, well, that's great. I can completely get free will within the context of salvation. But where we really get our feathers ruffled is when we talk about uh, predestination and the lost. And we say, well, how is it fair that a, a good and loving God could predestine people and, and even create them to suffer for all of eternity? Uh, that doesn't sit right with me. I, I don't like that. How is that even possible? And this is what I want you to understand is when we talk about uh, 
predestination and, and God's sovereignty. When we talk about this topic, the lost are never connected to that. Whenever you talk about predestination, it's always talking about the saved in Scripture. So, so just keep that in the back of your thinker. But here's the thing about this, and you're not going to like me uh, on this first point. When we say, well, how could God be so mean? How could God be so unfair? I want you to hear me loud and clear on this. And, and, and I know that you're not going to like it, but I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to proclaim the truth. And God, he owes us nothing. He owes humanity no good thing, nothing. Do you know what God really owes us? If we want to say, God, you owe us, you know what he owes us? Destruction, punishment, e eternally. So how could we go to God and say, it's not fair that you would, in your grace and mercy, save some from what they deserve, destruction, and not others. If somebody came in here and started handing out $100 bills, I got $50, $100 bills to give away. Most of you would walk away without a $50 bill. Would we ever say, oh, that's not fair, that guy's a jerk. We say, that guy's pretty awesome. He just gave away $50, $100 bills. In the same way, we could never go to God because God doesn't owe us. We could never go to him and say, hey, listen, what you did was unfair. Uh, but again, uh, moving to the point I made before that, predestination is not something that is connected to the lost. It's something that is connected to the saved. So, so understand that, 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 that God's heart is to see people saved. Uh, his word is very clear about that. For this is the good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires, what is his will, what is his desire? To see all men saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. 2 Peter 3, 9 says that the Lord is not slow or slack in his promises, as some count slackness, but is patient towards us, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Again, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 33, 11, God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, but that they would repent, that they would live. And then in Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Understand this, that there is no scenario whereby there is a person desperately seeking God, who desires God's will for their life, who wants to be forgiven of their sin, and God says, no, I'm sorry, you're not predestined for heaven. Right? you got to get that out of your head when you start thinking about this argument because that does not exist. So then, that begs the question, why don't, doesn't everybody get saved? Why are there people that don't get saved? And, and, and the, the answer to that question is not theological. Uh, the answer to that question is not intellectual. The answer to that question is, is moral. Because those who would be lost, God doesn't will for them to be perished. He, he doesn't desire for them to be lost. He takes no pleasure in it. John 3.18 says this, He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who, but he who does the truth comes to the light and his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. See, if any person is condemned, it's because they refused to trust Christ. They chose to stay in the darkness. They loved their darkness more than they loved God. And God, in his foreknowledge, knew the person who would desire darkness over the light. He knew. And so he didn't choose that person. He chose those who would choose him. D.L. Moody, he, he, he puts it this way. 
He says, the elect are the whosoever wills, the non-elect are the whosoever wants. God, in his foreknowledge, knew. He understood that. And so where we get all bent out of shape, where we get all hung up, again, let us be a people who aren't trying to cram God into one camp or another, but who say, Lord, this is what your word says. That, that's enough for me. I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust you uh, in it. Uh, because God sees. He knows. He sees the beginning from the end. He understands it all. And so God has predestinated us. He chose us before we ever were, based on his foreknowledge. But those who he predestined, he also called, Paul goes on to say. What does that mean, that we're called? Or that, that, that word for called is kaleo. And if you are in your 20s still, you probably remember an event that we used to have in Myrique. It was called kaleo. It was cool, the called, like all the Christian youth would gather together. But it's not just called kind of, you know, uh, generally or, or generically. Uh, kaleo actually means to be called to a task, called to a purpose, to be summoned. Uh, and so we're all called uh, to a task. Generally, we know that we're to be the salt and the light, that we're to share the good news of Jesus, that we're to be examples with our lives. But God has also called us specifically in our lives to be moms or dads or pastors or uh, children's ministry workers or doorkeepers or police officers, or nurses, or janitors, or whatever it is that the Lord has called you to, there's a calling on your life. And we get hung up, well, I don't know what God's call is on my life. I'm not sure. Hey, you know what? Pray. And don't limit the Lord in that. Because here's the thing. Who the Lord calls, the Lord also equips. You know, you, you take a look at the, the life of those who God called, whether it's Moses whether it's uh, Jeremiah or Elijah or Paul or Peter or, or whoever you look at. I mean, they have a long list of reasons why they shouldn't be the guy. And, and in fact, this is what Paul said to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. See, if the Lord calls you, he's going to provide that which you need to walk in that calling. And I say that to say this. So often we come face to face with something the Lord is calling us into. And we say, oh, Lord, I can't. I'm not the guy. I'm not the lady. I, I, I don't have what it takes. And I want to tell you that that's the enemy trying to get into your head, and it's totally false. And I am a walking testimony to that reality. Because by every metric that you can imagine, I shouldn't be your pastor. I'm outgunned, I'm underqualified, I'm undereducated, but the Lord is just flat out good. And where he calls us, if we're willing, he will equip us. And so those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, what does it say? He glorified. Notice, it doesn't say those he called, he will glorify. Glorified, past tense, already done. You say, wait a second, man, hold on. Because I'm not feeling very glorified. And when I look at my life, I don't look very glorified. And furthermore, when I look at your life as a Christian, you don't look very glorified. But here's the thing. God, again, is outside of this thing that we wrestle with, time and space. He's not trapped here. He, he, he's at the beginning. He's at the end. He, there's nothing that restrains God. And he sees you not as a work in progress. He sees you as a done deal. 
He sees you outside of it. He, it's as though we're already seated with him in the heavenlies, even as the word says. Uh, he, he's glorified us. And, and what a comfort that is as we just kind of wrestle through life. Uh, when I'm tempted to say, oh, man. Oh, man. I can remember that the Lord doesn't look down at me and say, oh, man. He says, oh, I see a finished work. Take comfort in that. But also remember that, that God sees uh, others as glorified first. But I'm going to hit the pause button on glorified because I skipped justified. Sorry, I, I can't skip that because that's an important one. Who he predestined, he called. Who he called, he uh, glorif- or justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. Justification we spent a lot of time on, but we can't, uh, we can't take that out of place. Because remember, I talked about the call, and so often we have this desire to serve the Lord, and we feel like he's calling us. And, and, and one of the things that get in our way is that, boy, he won't. I, I don't have the skills. He'll meet you with the skills. But another thing that disqualifies you, uh, you say, oh, you know, I'm too sinful. Right? I, I, I can't be in ministry. And I kicked my dog on the way to church this morning. And I, the Lord knows how I drove on the freeway last week. There's no way I could serve in kids' church. Right? But here's the thing. Whom he... Called, he justified, just as though you have never sinned. We've been forgiven, but it's even more than being forgiven. It's like there was never anything to even be forgiven for justified. We are robed in the righteousness of Christ. We are qualified to serve in ministry, not because we're perfect. If that was the qualifications, we would have nobody in ministry. Certainly your pastor would not be in ministry. Now, this is not a license to be an idiot I'm going to be in ministry and I'm going to hit the bar every weekend. No, that won't work. You'll get a call from us. We'll ask you to not do that. Actually, you have to sign something to say you won't do that if you're going to be in the kids' ministry. But that is to say that, you know, we all have faults. We all have failures. Don't get sidetracked. So uh, those who he's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, glorified. Again, past tense, he sees us as we are. But the thing with that that I want to point out before we move on, I'm glad that the Lord sees me as a finished work. But he also sees all of you as a finished work. You see, and, and, and Paul says this. He says, uh, I choose to know uh, no man after the, the flesh. Pa- Paul just made this decision. I'm not going to look at people according to their faults and their failures and their shortcomings. But I'm going to see them as a finished Wouldn't it be an awesome thing if we all just saw each other as a finished work? That my propensity to nitpick and get hung up on faults that I don't like, if that was just removed, what a wonderful thing that would be. Now, I'm not absolving us from our responsibility to speak truth into each other's lives, to hold each other accountability, or to not be discerning. But I think oftentimes we wrestle more with not being critical. And it's important to remember before you start to pick on somebody that God sees that person as glorified, just like he sees you glorified. So, uh, man, what a wonderful truth this morning. Uh, in God's foreknowledge, he predestined us. And those who he predestined, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. Right? And again, remember, this is not a stand-alone statement, but this is connected. This isn't a statement about how or why God chooses or doesn't elect or if and why we do or don't believe. Right? This is a statement, a truth of comfort that God is at work that God is going to see us through, that we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he's working all things together for good because he sees how it all ends for you and me. And because he's predestined us, he's going to see us through. He's not going to let us go. 
He knew it before you were born that you would make it. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. The author and perfecter of our faith. And he who began a good work in you, know this, that he will complete that good work. Jesus told the parable of the 99 sheep and the one that was lost. And from my perspective, I'd say 99 sounds like a pretty good percentage to me. I'm not going to go and look for that sheep. He's probably already wolf chow anyways. right? And if you raise livestock, I'm not a livestock guy. I have a couple dogs. I don't think that counts. But I think if you could get through with 99% like to market, that would probably be pretty good. I think we'd say, all right, that's good. But, but God, Jesus isn't satisfied. He says, I'm not going to lose a single one of you. You've been predestined and called. You've been justified. You've been glorified. And that's how you can know he's working all things together for good. And he proved it. See, the shepherd left the 99 to go find the one. Who lays down their life for the, the sheep? It's the shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd, and he proved it by laying down his life for us on the cross of Calvary, solidifying it, that the truths that we talk about this morning might be a reality in our lives. And how encouraging is that? So this morning, as we come to the table, as we come to sup with the Lord, as we come, even as he told us to come, come and remember. See, it's important for us to to keep things in perspective. It's important for us to remember Oh, Lord, you've done a work in my life that's greater than who I am. You're doing a work in my life. You're going to see me through. How can we know? Boy, we got the cross. We got the elements that we hold in our hands. How can we remember that, that you know, God sees us as a finished work? And as we hold the blood, as we take it in, we're remembered that we're cleansed. How do we know that we have the freedom to just walk in the things that he's called us to? Because as we take the the broken cracker that represents his broken body, we remember that he was bound and beaten, that we might walk in freedom and in healing. So this morning as we come to the table, man, rejoice in that. But as we spoke about last week, this whole reality that all things are working together for good is an if and then statement. It's not a blanket statement for the world. It's for those who belong to the Lord. And you say, well, how do I know if I'm predestined? Do you believe, Romans 10? Do you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? He died on the cross for your sins. And Jesus, and God raised him from the dead three days later. If you believe that, then you're chosen. That's what the Bible would declare. And so this morning, as we're coming to acknowledge that truth, again, this is not uh, something for the world to enjoy. For the Bible says that if we treat it with contempt, if we, if we treat it in uh, a dishonorable way, it's not a good thing. And if we don't believe that Jesus died on the cross in our place, if we don't believe that his blood has cleansed us from all sin, and we come and partake anyway, then we're doing so disingenuously, and that's not good. And so I just want to, to make that clear. None of us, are worthy to come to the table, right? We're all like Mephibosheth, that Old Testament story, a crippled and lame son of an ex-king who was picked up and carried to the table and given a place of honor because the goodness of the king. That's who we are this morning. But do that business with the Lord. Go before him this morning. Search your heart. Believe with your heart and confess with your mouth. Be saved this morning. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much.
for the truth of your word. And I just pray, Lord, that where we would be tempted to be stubborn, where we would be tempted to be hung up, where we would be tempted to really just lose our focus, Lord, that you would help us by your spirit to just not go down that path, that we wouldn't be those who pledge allegiance to any sort of camp, but we would be those who pledge allegiance to you, that we would never be so stubborn, Lord, that we would miss what's plain. Thank you, Lord, that you are wonderful and majestic and full of mystery, but Lord, that we can trust you and that we know we can trust you because you proved that you're trustworthy on the cross. So as we come to the table, Lord, I just pray that you would solidify those things in our heart, that it would be time of reflection, even as you've called us to remember. There would be a time of repentance, Lord, that those things that we need to just deal with, Lord, that we would do so in the power of remembering your body and blood. But that it would be a time of refreshing, Lord, where we're set free as we remember who it is we really are and what it is you've really done. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. We praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.